Hi, I'm Jason, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by my Rewind and Review co-host, Rob. Hello! Intense. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to what should be another informative yet ludicrous episode. <laughs> and we've got producer Mike back again in his comfy chair. Welcome back, Mike. All the squeaks are coming from him. That's exactly it's his right. chair, not mine. It's Mike's <laughs> chair. It's no one else's. Um, Rewind and Review is the podcast where we have a look at an existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, uh, discuss how it's held up over time, um, and even give our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometimes much later in our lives? Much later. How late for you? We'll yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, this movie celebrates its 35th anniversary this year in 2019. Right. So it was only appropriate to take the time to visit to, <laughs> or revisit, maybe visit for the first time, I don't know, Yeah. Um, this nutty comedy movie. Absolutely. Call them slobs, call them jerks, call them gross. Just don't call them when you're in trouble. Instead, rewind with us to the year 1984. We have to go back! Go back, Steph! What year is it? Are you telling me you built a time machine? What a year 1984 was. The 80s was in, uh, was in first gear with life-changing, life-defining movies on the horizon. Things like Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, Gremlins, Footloose, Beverly Hills Cops, uh, Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 16 Candles, Revenge of the Nerds, The Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, just to name many. But, of course, there is the one that we're talking about today. Police Academy! What a year, 1984. Wow, it's crazy. It really... Wow. <laughs> the 80s, man. Absolutely. Spoiler warning, of course, if you have not yet checked out this movie. It has been 35 years, but you never know. Directed <laughs> by Hugh Wilson and produced by Paul Maslansky, Police Academy stars an on- ensemble cast which includes Steve Gutenberg, Kim Cattrall, and G.W. Bailey. That's right. Now, due to a shortage of police officers and a rising crime, uh, the newly elected mayor of an unnamed American city has announced a new policy uh, requiring the police department um, to accept all willing recruits, um, effectively abolishing fitness requirements, education levels, and medical standards. An oddball assortment of characters enlist to join the force. Among the cadets are Suave, uh, Kerry Mahoney, played by Steve Gutenberg, the hulking Moses Hightower, played by (laughs) Bubba Smith, and the beautiful and wealthy Karen Thompson, played by Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Um, and, of course, effects-generating Larvel Jones, played by Michael Winslow. That's great. So, Chief of Police Henry Hurst, played by George R. Robertson, um, is outraged by the mayor's uh, lowered requirements. He decides that the, the cadets should be forced to quit rather than being thrown out. Um, Lieutenant Thaddeus Harris, played by G.W. Bailey, um, he trains the cadets um, and employs tactics to make their lives absolutely miserable as possible to achieve that goal. See, yeah, so go I'm not sure if it was this first movie or one of the many mm. sequels, but these movies would be, you know, they would appear on, on TV mm. throughout childhood, teen years, throughout life. Um, I realised after watching this first one that I have never seen it. I thought I had. Oh. I've seen bits of... 
some of the sequels, I guess, parts of them. I didn't have a full memory of watching a complete movie, but I had an idea of what Police Academy was right. and the antics and stuff. And I, I remember enjoying yeah, just the goofballness hmm. of them, um, the silliness, you know, especially for the time, the type of comedy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after watching this, I realised that this 1984 this? movie, this was my first full watch Holy crap. of this movie. That's amazing. Um, so you're going to get a very interesting take yeah. <laughs> from me. Well, I've got to say, so I'm in the same boat, although I was very, very much aware that I actually had not seen it. I have not seen any of these. Um, so I've not so seen you came it. prepared knowing. <laughs> knowing that, that I was like, yeah, absolutely. So never seen any of this ever before, ever. Um, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we may very well be. So we're both looking at this very much through um, a modern lens. Which is terrible. From a budget and box office point of view, uh, its budget was 4.1 mil, um, and it took uh, 81 mil, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, 81.2. To, 81.2. Don't, don't give it a couple hundred thousand. Uh, the sixth highest grossing film of that year, this which is, is pretty good, because there's a lot of good films in that year, so to be number yeah, six. Yeah, so. I mean... This box office for I mean, you can it explains why it got the number of sequels that it did, but mm. it, huge intake on such a small budget, so remarkable, remarkable. And then when you look at the critical rating as well, it also kind of doesn't really make much sense. It yeah. was pretty mixed initially. This movie is known for um, the very rare zero out of zero, zero out of four stars. Sorry, um, from Roger Ebert. <laughs> we are. Often uh, refer to you know, on, this, on this show. Um, however, Vincent Canby of the New York Times gave the film a favourable review. Very mixed. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes at the moment, it sits at 54%. Right. Um, IMDb sits at 5.7 out of 10. Yeah. And Metacritic, 41. There you go. Uh, producer Paul Maslansky says that the original feedback on the film was that it wasn't gross enough. Yeah. Um, I guess the type of formula... Of this type of movie, asked for more flatulence, yeah. you know, more slobbishness. Which I was actually, you know, with the with the tags that are on the poster, you know, like yeah. call them slobs, call them gross. I thought there would have been a bit more gross sort of humor. There's yeah. other types humor. of humor, yeah, other, but not that gross. Stuff. Um, but no, it's not. It's not fart jokes and poo jokes and. Mm. So I was pleasantly surprised by that, but yeah, maybe yeah. he was on the money there. Maybe he needed um, something. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it's got set. What is it? Seven, seven films in the Police Academy kind of series, I guess. Um, they uh, were all released between um, eighty four with this one and then nineteen ninety four. So what's that? A ten year reign of comedy. Yeah, and they're all pretty much year by year until I think it was until the seventh one. So yeah. Police Academy, obviously eighty four. Uh, number two, the first assignment in eighty-five. Back in training, eighty-six. Citizens on patrol in eighty-seven. Yeah. Um, assignment Miami Beach in eighty-eight. Police Academy six. City under siege in eighty-nine. And then the final one, Police Academy Mission to Moscow in nineteen ninety-four. Yeah. Or Moscow. So, Moscow. Sorry, where you, where my you live. bad. Um, they go to Russia. So the first. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like Die Hard. Eventually, they get to Russia. Like Police Academy Eight, <laughs> they go to space. <laughs> I heard um, that they're uh, they're making another one. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so yeah, first movie was rated R, um, for, as in a US R, so an, an Aussie 
M- probably M- MA, M- M-A yeah. Um, and you can understand that. Um, all the other sequels toned down to a PG-13, um, PG rating that's, in the US. That's interesting. Like they, So they started at that higher rating, you know, with mm. the boobies, with the nudity, with... Actually, not too much swearing. But with like the, the boobies. With the boobies. So um, they get an R rating. They got an R rating for that. What I think this was, I mean, 1982. Yeah. There was this little movie called Porky's. I haven't seen it. I know what you're so talking about. Adult comedy, um, you know, a bit crude. Mm. It it really went to that sort of male adult demographic target audience. Yeah. Very successful for the time. Um, <laughs> I think coming off that, I think they, they looked at this and went, let's include scenes so we can get that R rating as a selling point. Yeah, right. Which is interesting. They're like... But, you know, that's a modern thing, like almost a cinema trope now, like in the industry. Is, yeah. So Logan, for example, like... It's where they just go, oh, we've had a PG, PG rated movies forever. Let's screw it. Let's just go. Let's well, just but sometimes, it. I guess, as a marketing point, they want more people to see their movies. So they try and not have that restricted yeah, yeah. sort of certificate rating on it. Mm. So they avoid that. But sometimes it's like it works in their favor. Yeah. So I think that's what they went with. They went for with this. But then obviously going forward, they. From your extensive knowledge of this film series, do they. Like nudity, for example, is that. Does that feature in any of the others or not at all? Um, I'm not 100% sure because I haven't seen them all properly. Okay. Um, but I imagine with the PG-13 rating, it would be very yeah, limited. Probably a few butt shots. Yeah. I imagine there probably wouldn't even be any boobies. I'm not sure. Not 100% sure on that. Really enjoying your your adult take on this. I'm very fantastic vocabulary. Is is medical term. All right, let's keep on going. Uh, Steve got um, Gutenberg, the Goots. The Goots? Um, <laughs> the Goots. Uh, he'd be the, the star um, and main character for the first four movies only. Other supporting actors, so Mike Winslow, David Gaff, George Gaines. Um, they're, only, they're the only actors who appeared in all seven Police Academy movies. And as you would expect with most um, long-enduring movie series, ratings and reviews kind of drop with each of them. But they drop pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, pretty hard. But the first the couple, first few might have been okay, but then beyond that... Yeah, after... I think from the fourth one onwards, it was it was pretty low. Yeah. Pretty low. No longer box office hits. Roger Ebert probably just stopped watching them because he would have just been giving them negatives. Well, <laughs> yeah. You're at negative four. Um, um, you did mention potentially that they going to make a new movie yes so since well on september 3rd 2018 steve gutenberg announced that a new film was in the works but since then nothing's really sort of come of it so however look at kind of you know this renaissance era of film filmmaking that we're in where people just keep on renewing old properties hence why we're doing this bloody podcast most of the time yeah um i can see it happening i, I don't think with the goots Oh, if the goose Not is in it. Oh, he'd have like a cameo thing. Or he could be playing, you know, like the lieutenant or, or something like that. Yeah. Switch the roles up. I, I can like, imagine it would be... It would it would notch it up like crazy. It would be sort of tonally like yeah. 21 Jump Street style where it's, you know, intense, crazy I reckon it would be humor. more... I reckon it would be more um, tw- uh, 2016 Ghostbusters-esque. You reckon? Flip the, flip the themes... Completely gender characterizations, gender everything. Flip it, and then just go to town. Go to town on it. So majority of the yeah the recruits would be females. Yeah, and you reckon? Yeah, I reckon. Just for the hell of it, why not? Okay, over CGI. Because don't forget they've got a whole legacy of 
you know, failure almost or progressive failure. So they just have to completely reinvent it. Oh, fair enough. That's my take. Anyway, keep on going. Jason, what else we got? Um, There was an animated series called Police Academy the Series or rather Police Academy the Animated Series. Right. It ran from September 1988 to September 1989 for two seasons across 65 episodes. There was also a live action show which also took the name Police Academy the Series. Um, That was in 1997 based on the film's 26 hour long episodes Um, Michael Winslow reprised his role from the films um, being the only cast member to have a recurring role in the show however several other um, other cast members had occasional guest appearances yeah right I have seen none of it yeah cool there was also an extensive toy line I think mainly based on the the animated series I looked at some of the models and stuff of them and they seem to tie in with the animated show so you know we're talking about that rating before I think they really changed the direction of the franchise and they started to aim young like they went to town (laughs) cool it seems that way um, parallels are often drawn between Police Academy and the British Carry On series, um, basically for their common reliance on a largely, largely constant ensemble cast, the frequent right. use of lowbrow humour, yeah. sexual innuendo, and physical comedy. Right. Now, it's got to be said, the type of humour for a general audience has, <laughs> general audiences has changed over time. You may have noticed that. Um, so over the, you know, the decades that followed... Lots of different stereotypes, etc., which we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it become less and less more the focus of that that particular genre, um, and the slapstick type of comedy kind of, kind of disappeared as well. Yeah. So. so you got two things. First of all, like yeah, slapstick comedy has pretty much disappeared. You know, like yeah. it's you don't really see it much in comedy anymore. Every now and then it'll it'll pop up, and usually it's sort of <laughs> that Three Stooges movie. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's like the last big movie that was essentially a slapstick movie that I can remember. Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber 2. But I guess but yeah, the, but yeah. Dumb and Dumber 2 was pretty much like a callback, trying to yeah. bring that back sort of thing, and yeah. that didn't really go well, because yeah. I guess the humour has changed. Mm. On top of that, like you mentioned, you know, like the, the sexism and the homophobia and yeah. the... <laughs> the, the, the mild racism. Yeah, the overuse of stereotypes in this movie. Yeah. Although it seemed to have worked at the time. I mean, we're both looking at this through, through 2019 Alien, yeah. lenses. Yeah. Um, and I guess we can't help but obviously look at it and go, well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it's, it's a type of humour that I guess so, can still be played on, but I think there are different ways that it, it's played on today. I think there's still humour in this movie, though. That there, is, there, there, there is definitely humour in this. And you do have to, like, it is very difficult watching this as a, you know, a 33-year-old man... In, in 2019, for the first time, it is very hard to watch this and forget that the world has changed a lot yeah. since 84. For yeah, the better, obviously. What I, what I did was basically, as I was watching it, and I realised what this movie was sort of you know, addressing and bringing to the, the forefront. I, I was like, all right, put my feet in the shoes of someone watching it 35 mm. years ago. And I'm like, yeah, no, it was a, it was a different time and it worked. Yeah. It obviously worked for the success that this movie had and yeah. sort of going forward. Absolutely. You know, like, the world has changed where we are a lot more politically correct, sensitive, mm. yeah. snowflakes even, if you will. <laughs> there's, we, uh, there's a lot more awareness about, you know, different people's lives and different people's challenges. Um, and this movie is definitely from a period in time, even though it wasn't that long yeah. ago, 
where that level of focus just really wasn't on it. And What's interesting, though, like, the movie is still kind of diverse. Not diverse to the extent that yeah. people would sort of call diverse now, but there's still... The, the ensemble, is, ensemble cast still incorporates white actors, black actors. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is quite progressive, it's, it's, I guess, it is to a an ma- extent. Even though the themes behind it, there's a lot of sexist and misogynist stuff in there, which we'll talk about, but... There, it still is a, a diverse cast of gender, a diverse cast of race. I mean, so. the, the whole movie is about different walks of life and all sorts. You know, the oddballs, the misfits, yeah. different sizes, genders, well, that races. eclectic nature of like having that ensemble, like that's the that's the point of the movie is that's to it. bring in yeah. the randoms. So yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I think there is something still good nature about this in a way. <laughs> um, although yeah just to just to reach into that comedy it's I honestly think so when I when I was writing these notes so I, ladies and gentlemen I watched this for the first time at 4am this morning so it is now 6 o'clock in the evening so I've had just over 12 hours to comp- to process <laughs> what we're talking about here but um, my initial notes where I put down that there's a bit of overt racism in this but actually, I'm looking at it after the last 12 hours, <laughs> that it is a little bit different as well. It's There is racism in it. I found it... Uh, but they're also challenging it because... They call out... They, empower, call out. they call it. And yep. they empower the people of colour in the, in the movie to take action against the yeah. white confederates. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a way, like there, there's racism in there and it really sh- shouldn't be there. But then you're, it's also painting the picture of... You know they're actually standing up for themselves and taking it on. So no, like you're exactly right. They do call out out on it, and that's I guess one good aspect of yeah. it. Um, I guess the other thing also is because the type of comedy is relying so heavily on these stereotypes and very yeah. very cardboard stereotype. And although they do some fun things with them, and mm. you know that's all fine. They are still relying on essentially mm. very simplistic stereotypes. And with that, you know, you get. The brooding white man in charge, you know, the old yeah. crusty white man in charge. You you get the the shaved headed white tough dude sort yeah. of yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, placed yeah. in charge. You get what is it the the preppy fe- female character who who doesn't seem to have any worth really to to any of them, but then you know but she's getting it done, gets it know. done, but then you know catches the eye of the lead at some point as well. And of course, the lead is you know. Yeah, clean cut white dude. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he's got quirks and stuff to him, but he's essentially yeah, like yeah, Hollywood's yeah. Steve Gutenberg. But we're pushing, it, we're pushing it, pushing it around. But I mean, I guess the question is, um, you know, is this type of humor, you know, where you're really playing on stereotypes, and some of them are controversial, and you still see in in cinema now, you still see controversial stereotypes thrown around. Mm. It's they're not. It's not. It's definitely not immune to it. It's obviously not like this though. And the question is, is it still funny? There are still things in about in it that are funny. Yeah. There's like even if you're talking, even if you're talking like the horrible stereotypes re- regarding um, homophobia here, <laughs> where they the, the the two redneck yokels. So that's a stereotype in itself. Yeah, like they they end up at, a, at they get the tricked. blue oyster yeah. gay bar, and you initially you cringe at that, but then you look at the way that their actors are portraying that moment in that that scenario. You've got two people who are homophobic. Having a slow dance with a gay biker who's wearing leather, and you look they, at they that all, they're all dressed like Mr. Slave from South Park. Yeah, essentially. that's all. right. So the, all the stereotypes are toxic as, but the reaction on their faces of the people who you really are not siding with, 
they're like, yeah, you're getting what you deserve. Take that, you take that, you buggers. And it's funny. It's quite quite amusing. Yeah, the, I mean, the situation is is played for laughs. It's like yeah. they're in an uncomfortable position. They're the antagonists that yeah. we're not rooting for. It's a prank. They're caught in this sort of weird situation that they're not comfortable with. That's where the humour is. But then also the other side is like... You shouldn't feel uncomfortable. It's 100% hardcore, stereotypical, like this gay bar is full of policemen from like YMCA sort of... uh, Absolute cliche. They're all dressed like that for some reason. And like, I guess it's just addressing that whole, you know, homophobic... Yeah. male is is now trapped in this situation and every gay man wants to basically take them and have their way with them and they're yeah. trapped i mean so that's not good but it, like yeah it plays for laugh and i and then, yeah, yeah. i think if you yeah you just look at the situation and have fun with it and it's 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 quite innocent and, and playful it's well and like you said we've got to look through the lens of time but like but then you, you're still going to get challenges just the more the more and more you look at it, the more challenges you'll have. But like, there's the moments where they refuse to actually acknowledge what happened that night because of fear of exactly they're so, asked what happens and it's yeah, like, like oh nothing we had a fine night you know just whatever. dancing just dancing yeah like what did you and do so the we joke, only danced the in joke is apparently gay people are terrible people and you should never be near them you shouldn't <laughs> dance with them right um, and it's a terrible thing to be seen anywhere near them so things also there's all the dialogue like. So there's that element, and they play the the, the homophobia, or homosexuality right up. But mm. there's also dialogue, which is a little bit disappointing in there. So you get dialogue such as, like the the two rednecks turn around and say, instead of Mahoney, "How you doing, Mahomo?" Like, <laughs> or um, so you also get that moment where you know Gutenberg's character um, is is woken up in the middle of the night by um, Hightower, and they go for a drive. And Gutenberg actually turns around, or, or Mahoney turns around and says, "Oh, sleeping's for fags." So you're like, the dialogue itself. I mean, in '84, I don't know how acceptable mm. that was because I was two years old. But you know, it's it's one of those things where you. What's it's it definitely doesn't stand up now? I mean, what's an definitely interesting take? I mean, you could now. you could look at it and say, putting it in film, putting it on on screen for a general audience. Mm. Um, of course, now we'd look at it and go, "Oh, uh, you know, like ah, I shouldn't be saying that." Yeah. But I mean, and uh, not to typecast men or you know like the police force or cadets or anything in that situation but i mean yeah. i guess if you get a whole bunch of, of dudes and you put them in a, in a section together yeah um they're in close quarters you know it's sort of like they're on camp mm. they are going to be goofing around there there, there is going to be dialogue like that and yeah people are going to be speaking sort of in those terms and again i'm not typecasting men in that situation but yeah. i mean generally it's what you would get yeah I, I think I think so, you're right, right. So, so, is this movie real? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> all right, let's let's. So we, you know, we're chew, chewing up um, sexism, homophobia, and all that stuff. So we have to just acknowledge, in summary, yeah, it's in this movie. Overall, overall, it it is a type of comedy. You know, take like the the style of like Mel Brooks and stuff. You know, like around that time, this was the type of comedy that thrived and yeah. worked well. And this movie isn't the only guilty party to this type of. Humor and stuff. It was just of this time, and that's what's really interesting about visiting this and looking at it now and saying, "Oh, you know, it's different." I can still find enjoyable aspects of it. Mm. Um, they definitely are. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting sometimes to just watch a movie like this, um, especially for the first time, and go, yeah. "Wow!" Like look, look how at the far things like the come. changes, the yeah. differences, and looking at sort of how the world was viewing movies as well at that yeah. time. It's really interesting. Yeah. 
it, it is it is a reflection of, of nineteen eighty four cinema and, and that's that brand of comedy, I guess. Let's um let's move on to lighter fields. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> yeah, let's talk characters. Let's talk characters. So lead character, Steve Gutenberg, the Goots. My <laughs> the, do people call him the Goots or is that just your thing? I do. I have heard other people say but <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I'm happy to keep it going and I I can hold the torch to it if no one else wants to admit it. But I is the, the Goots. Goots. The Goots from and, Two, and he's a two pod- men and a baby. He's a podcast a listener too. So is he? Oh. there's always a chance. That he was in Cocoon. He was in um, that number five is alive. Short, short circuit. It was Jeez, in short circuit. Good. Oh man, he was great. I I think his greatest fame is the Simpsons, the Stonecutter song. You don't, I don't know the Simpsons. Oh damn it, man! You're the worst person <laughs> me to bring anything up. We'll have with- to play it during the ad. <laughs> we have to play it during the ad. Um, so anyway, so he's the he's the main character. Um, he's like technically a bad, bad, bad boy, I guess, but he's actually a really a clean, clean cut bad boy. Yeah, he's just mischievous. Yeah, he's just yeah. He doesn't seem to give a crap. You meet him at the um. He's basically being a ballet for for rich people's cars, mm-hmm. and he ends up by crashing this bloody Chevy or something. So his situation is that he gets caught up in in his stuff, and it's like yeah. you can either go to jail or you can join the police. Yeah, academy. So he's like, all right, he's like, go and join the police. Go he's playing. He's like, I'll just get kicked out. It's all good. But then, as we said, the uh, the, uh, the the motivation of the captains and all of that is they're not going to kick anyone out. They're going to make gonna them quit. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, um, and that's that's the, the nice little uh, challenge that um, Carrie sets up for himself is I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make myself absolutely like everyone's nightmare, and then to see how far yeah. I can push it, and then they keep on going. Nah. <laughs> Would you say? Like I say, Gutenberg, like he, you know, like he's he's sort of the pretty boy of the movie, you know. He, I think so. Yeah, and he, you know, he comes full of be charisma quite, yeah, as well. Yeah, quite likable. Do you think he has an actual arc? You know, he goes in and he's sort of like, I'm going to get kicked out, and then he decides, no, I don't think he does. Oh, you know, I actually want to stay and do well, and then by the end of the movie, you know, he's given a medal almost mm-hmm. by accident. <laughs> I don't think any of them have an arc. To be honest, yeah, okay, I agree. Actually, yeah. it's kind of they're in neutral the whole way. Um, and nothing really is achieved, and you know proof of that is they go on so many different tra- like journeys after this. This is just like the first fourteen I mean, weeks of their a, career. Like, it's nothing. That's a good point. I'm like I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're still in the actual academy stage. A couple in the of the next film couple titles, movies. A couple of film titles indicate that they're on assignment and stuff, though. But yeah, anyway, you're right. Um, well, so anyway, get the Goots performance. <laughs> Charismatic. He's a funny dude. I think he's great. I wish there was more Goot in the world. <laughs> there is it. There is it. I don't know where he went. To come he back. doesn't do anything anymore. He's like he's almost sixty now, though. All he all he doing is talking about bringing Police Academy back. Yeah, well, do in, it, in 2018, that was, was a year ago, mate. Where are you? All right, move on. Uh, love interest. Um, Karen Thompson. Love interest. Is that what we're going to call a love? I guess interest? so, because that's how she's, she's portrayed. Her, I guess she's her own character. She is she. What's interesting though, like with obviously having this female lead as. Played by Kim Cattrall, by the way. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, better known as Samantha from Sex and the City. I didn't even, yeah, even realise at first. The wife pointed that out to me and I was yeah. like, holy shit. Mm. She looks so different at this very young age. Oh, definitely. Um, how, how old do you reckon she is? We could, we could research oh, we, that. We, we, yeah, I'm not yeah. that interested. Like, you know, 20 20s. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, gorgeous at this age. I mean, gorgeous now, I suppose, for yeah. an old lady and when she was in Sex and the City. But, um, Absolutely. What I found interesting, though, is that 
Because yeah, when we first meet her, hmm. she you know she's in a limo with which I'm assuming is her mother, and she's saying you know she's being asked why do you want to join why do you want to be a police man hmm. a police woman or whatever she says, and it's like you know for the challenge for yeah, and it's like oh you know they're setting something up something up really good there's something for her to actually meet, but it's like yeah. they never actually go into it. She joins, she just sort of goes through it. Yeah, she doesn't really have any journey. So I guess you're right. They do hmm. just have her be. A love interest, and that's mainly her role, because she doesn't really struggle with anything. Yeah. And I mean, unless that's the point, and it's like she could do it easily, and it's all good. Well, she could, she could get through without any problems. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, they do treat her like a bit of a second-class citizen, though. Like, I mean, the goots. What's it? The first time he sees her, he's behind her, and so yeah. she, she's focused, looking forward. They're in a regimented line, and. Basically, the officer and commander is walking behind them all and talking to them anyway. So she thinks that he's an officer, and he he goes, "What's your number?" And she panics and gives it to him. And he goes, "Show me your thighs." <laughs> <laughs> it's so sexist, but you but you and he almost gets away with it because she she starts like doing a little bit of shuffle, which indicates off camera so she's she about just- to take a bloody backs off. And then obviously the officer in charge comes over and goes, nah, come with me. Like, what are you, you doing? You bastard. But that's just, yeah, more on his character, you know, like just being just a rat bag. Yeah. <laughs> a cheeky little rat bag. <laughs> um, oh, FYI, uh, the heads up from Mike is that she was in her 30s, early 30s during oh, this. Yeah. She doesn't look like she's in her 30s. No, man. I'm in my th- early 30s. Yeah, you don't look it. I do not look as young as she did. 55 at least. Yeah. You are. Anyway, oh, sorry. Well, Kim's... Um, Portrayal. I thought she was great. She given for what she had. It wasn't really much room for her, really, to be honest. So that's it. Yeah. Bubba Smith um, plays Moses Hightower. So he's basically that huge black guy. He's cool. He's yeah. He doesn't Flo- say much. Flores eh? by trade, um, <laughs> <laughs> which he goes back to Forget, when he gets kicked out. He needs people to command him when he's driving. You didn't tell me to brake. <laughs> I love when he he just rips the seats. Like oh, you know. Yeah. Um, Mahoney says to him, oh, why don't we just rip the seats out and we just sit in the back? He's like, and he doesn't. Dang. Yeah. And so it's one, of, it's one of those things. He's obviously played. So he is a giant beast of a man. Mm. Um, huge tall guy. And everything that he's involved with throughout the entire film is him breaking things. Like he pushes down the wall that they had to jump over. Yeah, they're all... He climbs a rope and it snaps <laughs> out of the roof. Like, yeah. I love he when he rips they're... the chairs yeah. out. He pushes a, ch- pushes a car, a racist car over <laughs> when they... when they, uh, they Yeah, the drop cop car, yeah. Yeah, when they, they rip into one of the other like people of colour on the cast. I like when, yeah. you know, they're obviously they're doing their workouts and stuff. They're going for a run. Yeah. And he's just walking. Yeah. And uh, a bit of behind the scenes uh, trivia there is that he actually injured his knee because he was a football player. Mm. So real life, um, Bob Smith actually, yeah, bad knee, so he can't actually run. So they just had him walking, but it yeah. just adds to his character. He's just like, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just going to do this at my own pace. And I thought, it, I thought he was, he was brilliant. In fact, he's one of my faves. He's not my fave, and this next one isn't my fave either. But um, next character to talk about, Leslie Barbara, played by Donovan Scott. Um, he's just comic relief, really, isn't he? Yes, yeah, so he's the bigger guy. He's the does he work? He works at the the photo. Yes. <laughs> Place and he gets picked on by these like, these, these bully these bully thug guys who are very considerate with him enough to not hurt him as they're travelling with his little booth on the truck <laughs> and then they throw him off and then they're considerate enough to hear him out and he says I'm going to be a police officer and he goes under the bridge as he's floating away and they run to the other side of the bridge just to hear the rest of it they're very considerate <laughs> oh, very nice guys yeah. you know when he's in that when he's in that thing apparently um. You don't see it as it goes under the bridge. It almost flipped over. His little camera thing that it, not oh. little, his big camera thing. Yeah. So, 
Uh, one bit of stunt work there that could have gone array. That would have been interesting. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He is a bit of comic relief. Um, like the two redneck guys, if that's what we're calling yeah. them, sort of target him as like to get information and stuff out of him. I guess seeing him as the weaker one. Yeah. Um, but I guess he comes good. Like he seems to be quite a competent cadet by the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, he ends up by learning how to defend himself. He beats the crap out of those same thugs. Yeah. And it turns out that they're innocently just moving furniture from their house <laughs> yeah. instead of th- him thinking they're like, stealing. Take that furniture back yeah. where you got it. But it's ours. And then he just goes, "All right, as you were, off he and off he goes." So it's a nice little funny turn. He also has a dog that likes to hump people, mm. and you know, I wrote it down as not my one of my favourite things. It's pretty much labelled the queer dog. Yeah, someone calls yeah. it out as being like that's the, cat, the chief does. He does. Yeah, like, that's yeah. a queer dog. Yeah. He's also the same guy that goes, there used to be a lot more Johnsons around. That was a good day. (laughs) (laughs) This movie. This movie. Oh, wow. We're like a bit of Johnson, man. The other captain turns around and says, oh, yeah, I love the view when there was all the Johnsons in there. (laughs) And then there's this other guy that was just like, what? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Who else we got? Now, Michael Winslow. He's my favorite. So he's a comedian. Yeah. By trade um, in the real world. Plays Lavelle Jones. Um, you'd know him as the sound effects guy. The, now, does he have any speaking lines yeah. in this movie? Yeah, heaps. Does he? Only like little... I recall none. <laughs> just sentences here and there. But um, no, he does. Absolutely. Because he... Yeah, I mean, for essentially, he just, he's just making noises. Yeah. That's I right. mean, he's doing them well. And there's a lot of cool things. The, the things where he's pre- pretending to basically play Pac-Man or something like that. Yeah. Okay, again, he's just making all these noises... Machine guns, PA announcements. It's very, it's very clever. Um, and he's, um, he is obviously a very talented man. What's his name? He's known as the man of ten thousand sound effects. My God, I'm sure he doesn't actually have ten thousand so sound I, effects. But this is probably like a staple of the police academy movies. This is one of the things that I guess these this series of films yeah. is known for, and I guess the TV show as well because he featured heavily in it Um, but I think this is one of the things that if you ask someone oh what do you know about Police Academy they're like oh there's that guy with the sound effects Mm. you know yeah this is one of the iconic things of it Um, I did find every now and then I think especially when he was like shaving and he's just kind of going crazy with it Sometimes it does play overly long and it, mm. it can be a little bit annoying. It's like... And then what, they capped that scene off where he's like, he's lost control of his, <laughs> of his thing. He's like, Apparently that was an improvised scene where you, they were just like, they had nothing for him to do. So they were like, oh, just do something. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like, oh, it's, it's, it's come to life and it's going to kill yeah. me. But still. <laughs> yeah, like... It, it wears thin. Yeah, he has an amazing talent, but sometimes it was just, it does... Yeah. Yeah, like you said, wears a bit thin. Yeah, that's right. Carries on a bit too far. Uh, who else? We've got uh, Andrew Rubin plays George Martin, or uh, who's it? George Martin. Martin. He puts on a um, a Spanish accent to uh, basically convince ladies to sleep with him. Yeah, yeah, he's well a done, George. So he's a trooper. So, <laughs> so he has numerous sort of um, threesome sexual encounters throughout this. Yes. Um, I guess the main one... He dresses up in drag, basically, <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a woman and gets into the girls' dormitory yeah, every night. Yeah, wandering around. Yeah. I mean, good play, good play. Yeah. Put that in the playbook. And then, um, I guess the, the the main confrontation that he has when he he does come across um, Sergeant Debbie Callahan, played by Leslie Easterbrook, who's basically their combat trainer. Yeah. Um, she catches him out. He thinks he's done in. And then... She basically just seduces him. Yep. Yeah. 
And then Booby. from that point on, it's like, no, we're regimented. You're meeting my parents. That's what you're doing. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> like, um, like, she's taking control. This is um, yeah. woman and empowerment. Uh, yeah, oh, good on. Good yeah. On. Um, <laughs> good on. <laughs> and, yeah, so he puts on the accent um, and the goot at some point finds out. He goes, hang on, what's with your accent? It keeps on coming and going. And, and he, he just breaks it down. He says, like, my name's nah. George Martin, not Martin. Um, who else we got? Uh, Eugene Tackleberry who is a security officer and is a little bit crazy. Um, he's played by David Graff. <laughs> a little bit crazy. He is like violent as he brings his own massive um, revolver to the firing yeah. range and blows up, you know. I, I'm pretty sure he's borderline insane. Yeah. Like, sociopath. It's very no, not a sociopath. That's the wrong way to say it. He's probably... He's just very Yeah, he's just unstable. Yeah. Borderline clinical. Sadistic. I mean, they, the, the movie opens like a very serious action movie yeah. and with him as the feature character he's mm. sort of patrolling his halls with his gun mm. doing rolls mm. lurking around things and moving swiftly yeah and it turns out he's just a security officer yeah sort of Paul Blart style you know like just trying to live it too hard yeah um, and what he busts through a room with the light off and shoots like just shoots randomly turns <laughs> the light on and he's shot just narrowly missed everybody who's giving him a surprise birthday party <laughs> <laughs> he he shoots a cat out of a tree he does shoot a cat out of a, a tree cat. so can you save my cat yeah no yeah, worries pull this <laughs> so we have to assume that he killed a cat with him though i think he has yeah something about him he's a very likable personality even though he's borderline crazy yeah um yeah there's something about him that I imagine if he's in the future movies, a good journey to sort of go along with. Yeah. This guy doesn't really feature that much, except he does start a freaking riot at the end. But um, so Douglas, um, Douglas Fackler is played by Bruce Mahler. Um, he just wears glasses. His wife, who is a better cop than all of them. I noticed that at the um, start of the movie where, you know, like he knocks her out like with his car door or briefcase yeah. or whatever. And he's also... Yeah, he's, there's a few other things. Not very minor things, are like with the mattress, and he's just causing havoc. Yeah, but she like runs over the field, you know, like Rob Schneider and the animal. Like she's yeah. getting it done. Jumps on the hood of the car, like you yeah, aren't joining the police force. Yeah. I was like, wait, is she the one that joins? I honestly thought that that's like she'd rock up and they'd be like, no, you, you're the one. In doing research after watching this movie, she did come up. Oh. Turns out, I think it's either the third or fourth movie. Yeah, and she applies. To okay. be a police kid, and I was like, "Well, that makes sense. She's got yeah. some talent." And then the roles are reversed, and then the husband, now Fackler, he's yeah, he tries to convince her not to. Oh, right. So it's reversed. But I'm, I'm like, "Oh, that makes sense." But he doesn't really do much other than <laughs> he does, great mischief for everybody. And then yes, just, just yeah, he's an accident prone. Um, and we've got uh, Laverne Hooks, who is a female recruit. Uh, a lady of colour, and she speaks incredibly softly. So, um, so obviously not with she. She struggles with you know demanding authority. You know, I think I mean it's a sorry, it's confidence thing. Is yeah. you know, she's a shy, timid. Yeah. Um, Marion Ramsey's in the role. Apparently, this was she was doing a parody of Michael Jackson. She was right. using him as inspiration for a very soft-spoken. I can see that. But then again, her think. best moment though is when you know they this uh, sort of simulating the you know being someone's trying to mug them or something like yeah, that, yeah. and then. It's like, what would you do? What would you say? You know, be loud, be boisterous. Yeah. And she, like, you know, pulls out her hand as if, as if it's, like, a, a gun. Yeah. And she's like, all right, this is a sticker. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, oh, wait. <laughs> Wrong one. And it's yeah. like, I'll oh, just sit down. <laughs> That's her moment. 
Um, and then wrapping up the uh, the rest of the recruits, we've got we've we've already labelled them very unsympathetically as the two hillbillies. <laughs> the two hillbillies. Cadet leader one and cadet leader two. Yeah. Um, so we've got Kyle Blanks um, and Chad Copeland. So uh, Brant Von Hoffman and Scott Thompson, respectively. They are the same character, really. I was trying to d- differentiate and one's shorter than the other, and I don't yeah. know which one is which. They get, they're, they're obviously, they're, it's cliche, they're made to be, made out to be incredibly dumb and incredibly racist. Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, they're, they're set up to be like, our lower level antagonists for yeah. for the recruits to cause havoc, but then they don't really succeed because they're not very good. Yeah, you know they're trying to get information. They get yeah. caught up in the situation, and yeah, and then not really much happens with them. They're just sort of yeah. used as the stick of Mahoney's jokes, essentially, and that Basically. works for the movie. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, we've got enough antagonists. Yeah, but they do. They do. So two times, I think it's blanks. Um, Oh no, it's, I think it's Copeland. Actually, I can't remember because they're so interchangeable. But they drop, <laughs> they, so drop they, they drop, they um, drop racist slurs. He does it twice. First one he says is regarding just how many um, people of color there are in the actual thing. Uh, what's the line? He says, he goes, "I oh, look at all the spades." Mm. So during this research, I didn't know spade was a um, that was one I had to look up, and um, yeah. it's yeah. I think there's a few more like that, but like subtle ones that mm. we're not familiar with, yeah. and that that way it goes over our heads. But yeah, yeah, there's quite a few in there. But yeah, spades because the spades is a black, right? Is black, not red. It makes sense. I just didn't, wasn't even aware <laughs> yeah. that there was a der- there was a derogatory term there. So um, he says that, and then there's a bit of a pause, and you see um, everyone kind of reacts and any kind of shirks away a little bit, and then later on he gets his toes run over, and then he says, "You dumb fat uh, jigaboo." Jigaboo. Jigaboo or something like that, which apparently, if you have a bit of a Google, it's a different different culture to us, but yeah. apparently it's really, really bad. And that's where um character uh, loses it a little bit and then uh, flips the car on him because of the yeah, Hightower picks yeah, up as the you car highlighted, says, no. As you highlighted earlier, it's yeah. like a lot of the slurs and stuff that you know these characters are presenting, it's like they are caught out on it yeah. and there are reactions mm. to it, which, you know, you can have a racist character on screen. Yeah. But then if you, if you have a reaction to it, yeah. like another character reacting, it sort of cancels it out. Or mm-hmm. you know, it... Wrapping up some of the characters, we've got the staff. So we've had our recruits, and so now we've got the staff members who are training them. We've got uh, Lieutenant Thadis Harris, who's played by G.W. G.W. Bailey. Um, he's in charge of the recruits. He is trying to make their life really, really hard. He's also vying for the top job. And he also gets his head stuck up a horse's ass. <laughs> um that all happens. <laughs> like, summary of the character, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's pretty good. Um, G.W. Bale, like... I actually every, really like the character. When he's on screen, yeah. You know, like, his demeanor, his yeah. presence, just chewing up the screen, man. Like, yeah, yeah. it works for me. He's got, he's got, like, a, a, so much patience. He's, like, he, he, you know, breathes condensation onto this pole that he's got, which has got a brass end, and he's just constantly polishing it. Just taking the time, you know, <laughs> no, and just completely in control. Like you don't, you don't feel like he ever loses control until he gets catapulted into the rear end of a horse. The like, scene, the scene where he he asks Mahoney, he's just, you know, just quietly, like, "Did you tell anyone?" And he's just like, "Not a soul." And, and then, then he just everybody, everybody's just cracking a smile, just, just having a chuckle. Even even his um his offsider um we already mentioned her, um Debbie Callahan. Sergeant Callahan, mm. she's even having a giggle, which I mean, it's very funny. Who else we got? We got George Gaines plays um, Commandant 
Eric Lassard. They could have probably picked better names for it. <laughs> but anyway, um, he's just pretty much in, in charge of the unit, I guess. You know, amongst the staff, the the one who's not, you know, he's not against the recruits. Yeah. You know, he's sort of 1% supporting them and he's not really yeah. on board with the plan to cause trouble. I kind of just get that he's a bit absent-minded. I mean, he's a little bit, yeah. Like, if he gets numbers and stuff, it's just he doesn't really want to be there, I guess, either, but he is there. Like, there's a line that Steve Goodenberg's character gives him where he says, oh, I'm trapped here. We're all trapped here, We're all trapped here, yeah. And he he, doesn't he goes, it. yeah, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just a resign to the fact that everybody's trapped there. Nobody wants to be Nobody there. Nobody wants to be there. It's really, really cool. Um, the one scene, I guess, uh, with him that, you know, I guess is his character-defining moment mm. is, you know, when there's that hooker, that prostitute yeah. on the campus and her and Mahoney, uh, they're hiding under that, yeah. that podium and then he's addressing yeah this meeting or you know it's like investors or something yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and um yeah. the prostitute thinks that this is her time to shine and she gives him a blowjob while he's giving a presentation yeah um to make it i guess to make it funnier or worse when he when everything's said and done and he's walking away he looks back and mahoney sticks his head out yeah, and he's, he thinks it's Mahoney. Uh, yeah. yeah, what's um, I guess interesting is later on when Mahoney and Thompsons are sort of making out behind like the bleachers. Yeah, he spots them. Yeah, assuming that you know it's it's two he's male cadets. Out two men, yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know how to read into this, but obviously when it's revealed that it is a female officer, he sort of like gives the okay, like the approval, like okay, yeah, yeah that's fine. So it's obviously a relief for him because it means that. Is that what it is? It's more like he's. It's not like I just thought he was homophobic too, because he's like, oh, thank goodness, it's not two gay officers. Yeah, that's what that's what I took it as. But that's because it's but is, it, is he relieved that it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't him. Well, it it, it can look like that, but I was also he's just part of the old guard where. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's like you know good good work kind of thing. Um, George R. Robinson is the, probably the last character we'll probably mention. Uh, plays yeah. Chief Henry J. Hurst. Very brief with him. He's just the guy who comes up with the plan yep. to make the cadets quit. Yeah, he plays his part, does it fine. Yeah, doesn't like dogs humping his legs. Or calls them <laughs> queer dogs. So, on your George. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say to him. To him about him. Do we have anything else for any characters? That's it. No, that's about it. Man. Cool. This might be the best time to have an ad break. It, I think we're overdue. Yes, <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. And we are the guys from Nut Film Stew. Do you like movie reviews and want to keep up to date with the latest in movie and TV news? Then Nut Film Stew is the podcast for you. Join us every two weeks for some good times, laughs and firm opinions on the things we love. That's right. There's a new podcast released every two weeks on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. That Film Stew Podcast. Listen, comment, follow, share. Uh, we've covered characters um, extensively. Let's <laughs> let's move on to something else. Soundtrack. Uh, it was scored by Robert Folk. What do you think, Jason? Any any thoughts? I mean, the main the I main the main score. I think works. It has like a comedic tone and nature to it. You know, a goofiness to it, but it also has like that militant style yeah. regiment. It actually yeah. sounded like a nursery rhyme. Oh, okay, but because of the it's the basic structure of it, but yeah, um, yeah, but not just that. It is actually there was in mind. I think it was um, 
It could be that one, you know, coming around the mountain when she comes. It was like that, wasn't it? But the military element to it as well. So, like, a couple of... It really yeah, was that, because I was actually yeah. thinking that at some point. And not, yeah. So, anyway, and I don't know if that was intentional. That property would have existed by when this movie was made, so it could have been intentional to make maybe it more... Maybe you know, more... <laughs> oh, maybe. But but I think I think more, you know, like to make it more jovial or something, or relatable and, like, you know, nursery rhymey, and what I mean by that so is... So, related to... Taking to all the child. seriousness away yeah. from it. Yeah, you get a childlike nature to it. Yeah. Related to the characters. That could be... That yeah. could be a thing, but it was good. It wasn't. It was catchy. catchy. It was catchy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, and they used it enough throughout that it, you know, for the the right moments, and yeah, it worked well. Was yeah, and like soundtrack wise, if you're talking, you know, a step away from the score and just talking about some of the music that features into it, um, I, I don't have them in front of me, but it wasn't. You know, there's a couple of catchy little tunes in there. <laughs> it's funny with the slow dancing in the in the gay bar. The music was like really quite nice and romantic. <laughs> it was romantic, wasn't yeah. it? I was like, oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Um, um, before we wrap up, before we get to our quiz, which we always love doing, yeah. Um, are there any sort of standout moments, mm. funny bits, or bits you really hated? We can go either way. Yeah. The driving scene with um, what's his name? The big, the big bloke with Hightower and Marini. Yeah, Hightower and Marini. That. That was pretty good. I really enjoyed that. It was because it was it was weird. It was like they run into a car because he forgot to hit the brakes because mm. no one told him. But then after that, he just turned into this extreme driver. Oh, it's it's fun because it ra- and it wraps with them like they trash the car. Like it's, it ends up like just just destroying the car. But it ends up with them as well at the train together the next the next day when he's just doing it and he's talking to and he's amazing. Little, but yeah, yeah, he's amazing at it and he's talking to the the the. the the love interests, um, and just you know, he's like, oh, I taught him everything, <laughs> and it's just an interesting, cool little story. I thought. Actually, there's a few. There's a few moments like they're talking about like they're, they're training driving and stuff like they mm. when they shoot like uh, the shooting range. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're all sort of they're all missing. Yeah, they're all useless. Yeah. Um, and then you get Tackleberry, and he's got this giant pistol that his yeah. mum gave him and he just blows the like <laughs> the target, the target away yeah, yeah. he's just like where did you get that my mum gave it to me give me that another one <laughs> as can well. I look at it can I have a look at it another one as well which is um, a tackleberry moment is the movie's finished the riots happened they've defused the shooter and then tackleberry loses his shit because he didn't get to shoot anybody right yeah there's and the he's whole... banging his head on the and he's really hitting that car like, it's, it all, about, it. Like, it's can... all about Mahoney on the rooftop yeah you know, and then you're getting it done. And Tackleberry really wanted to shoot somebody, but he didn't. It's just like, my yeah. moment! Yeah. And he's like, head down, bang, onto the bonnet. Yeah. No, Funny. I really enjoyed Tackle the Tackleberry character. Yeah. Larvel Jones, like, I just really enjoyed the quirky elements of his um, his performance with the sound effects. Mm. For the most part. Yeah, for the most for part. For the most part. No, like I said, like, there's talent there. It just it sort of... Yeah. Drove on a bit. Yeah. But, you know, over... Overall, I'd, yeah, that, that'd be the kind of the standouts for me. The ones I don't like, this would just be literally a 2019 viewing, is pretty much every single time they drop a homophobic slur on <laughs> Right, sure. It, it grated me. It grated me, and it was really hard to pull myself back into 1984. It was really hard. What did you think of the nudity there? Obviously, you know, they have their weekend break, and oh, yeah. they have that little party, and there's a the campfire, and... I, yeah. I forgot all about that. Chicks yeah. are just taking their shirts off. For... Oh, isn't that, that's just what happens at parties, Jason. That's it. it was sort of like spring break college, right? Yeah, except they're and a little think, bit older than that, but yeah. But I think that maybe that's what this movie, you know, like 
they're going off that porky style of film, yeah. which is, you know, this party movie, college movie. By the way, I, I lied. I've never been to a party that's where that happens, <laughs> but just saying. Um, Apparently, that's what happens in America. Yeah. Um, American college style parties. I mean, yeah, right. I what we see in movies is what we. There's that lovely moment there. So you're at the you're at the beach party. They're letting a bit of steam off. You know, um, ladies are taking their tops off and stuff. But you get that moment between um, Thompson's and Mahoney. Yeah, it's Mahoney, where she goes, "Do you want to go for a walk?" And he goes, "Yeah." Well, like we're actually leading up to all that throughout the movie. You would kind of expect him to say. Oh nah, I want, yeah. I want to stay because the way he acts and like the way he treats her. You think like, he'd be like, nah, boobs are out. Yeah. I, I want to stay, and, and no, they focus knows. on that. And like, yeah, but his his reaction is so honest and genuine. It's like, nah, let's go for a walk. That's exactly what I want to do. There's nothing else I want to do. And you're like, oh, that's lovely. He's yeah. alright. He's alright. Ah, uh, oh, the goots. The oh, goots. What a legend. It is a funny little moment where um, Thaddeus Harris, like Turner Harris comes and steals the beer or takes the beer off. Like, the goot is just creepily looking at the showers. I mean, yeah, it's funny what he's we just say. He's casually drinking. He's an all right guy, beer. but then he's like, yep. He's literally, I wrote it down when I was watching it going, why is he just being creepy watching naked women? Who designed that building and put those showers in yeah. that open... Down like a staircase and stuff, yeah. A ridiculous and no design. one knows about curtains either. You got old mates, ridiculous design, yeah. ridiculous design. But it is a funny moment where Harris comes in and tells tells um, Mahoney off for perving. Like just get out of here, he says, give me the beer, yeah. get out of here. And then he turns around, he leans on the balustrade. He's not even really looking. And then they see him and go like, ah, and panic. And then he drops his beer and runs away, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, he's caught So he's the one who cops the creep. But it was really, again? it's actually really. Um, Carrie, like like Steve Gutenberg character that was being creepy as hell, but anyway. <laughs> which is funny. We said that, yeah, he's an alright, he's a nice guy, but yeah. that's like no, he's actually a bit of a creeper. Yeah, but creep. that's okay. You can be both. Absolute creep. If you've got charisma, you can do it, right? My question though for you: Would you now, after watching this one, oh. watch any of the other sequels? Nah, <laughs> nah <laughs> unless unless um, you know, shout out to uh, co-host Luke. Unless Luke really convinced me to do it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression he thought we were doing all seven, but I don't... Oh, shit. <laughs> Maybe for another day. Oh, well, look, let's just see what kind of... Listeners, if you uh, you want us to do the, the, the all, all seven of them, considering they release pretty much once a year, we can do one a year if you want. Oh, my God, don't make any promises. I'm not promising anything. Let, <laughs> let, 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 let the, let the listeners do. make the decision. All right, let's, let's jump into uh, that favourite time, the episode, every episode... Our quiz. Now, I have been tasked with asking you a bunch of questions today. How are we looking, Mike, on the timer? Mike looks like he's happy. Ladies and gentlemen, what we what we aim to do with these ones is I'll ask, well, we take turns to take asking 10 questions in 60 seconds and see how we go. You all good? You are happy? Ready, set, go. What is written on Carrie's shirt on recruitment day? It's very complicated. Skip. What <laughs> instrument does Tackleberry play? You don't know that one? Saxophone. Right. Yes. <laughs> what colour tracksuit did the trainers wear? Yellow. No. Blue. No. <laughs> what animal does Tackleberry shoot? Out of a tree. A cat. Correct. <laughs> uh, what flag is on the, the uh, Copeland's car's number plate? American. Nope. Canadian. Well, it's Canadian. kind of American, but not Canadian. quite. Um, what does Hightower do for a living? Florist. Yes. What? Uh, how does the riot start? Um, an apple gets thrown at that dude's Cor- head. Correct. What um, what doesn't Commandant Lassard ever forget? He's Kane, I don't know. Uh, incorrect. 
Carl, uh, what does Carl try to throw out the window? No. <laughs> what bird does Jones imitate in the empty street? A kookaburra. Yes, he does. <laughs> and there, there goes the time. Um, and the last question I had was, what squad letter are they all signed? And a bonus point if you can remember what it's for. I oh, literally no idea. Oh, my God. Squad D. And it's wow. for dirtbags. Let's go back through a couple of those questions <laughs> that you had no idea about. Oh, my God. Oh, I got him this time. Um, what's written on Carrie's shirt on recruitment day? It says one in the oven and it's pointing down. It with does. Gross. And it's oh, a cutoff. It's the grossest the shirt. The wife even asked me, what does that shirt mean? I was like, well, clearly it's a woman's shirt for when they're pregnant. Oh, yeah. We even talked about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. And do you see his shorts he wears? He wears, like, jean cutoff. Hot pants. Yeah, man. That's gross. Full female outfit. Um, what color tracksuit do the trainers wear? Um, by that, I mean like their commanders. Red. They all wear blue and they wear ah. red. What flag is on Copeland's car as a number plate? It's the Confederate flag. Sure. Because they're a bunch of racists. <laughs> right. Um, uh, what doesn't the Commandant Lassard ever forget? He never forgets numbers, which is a joke because he forgets them all the bloody time because he gets them wrong about three times. Um, uh, what does Kyle try to throw out the window? Books. He takes the books off the desk and tries to throw them and they hit the window. They do, great. yeah, and it's like... Yeah, when he's threatening... Yeah. What's his name? And, and then... Like, and you got question nine. What bird does Jones imitate on the empty street? The kookaburra, which was brilliant when I heard that. I was like, that's amazing! I only noticed it because... Australian. Australian. <laughs> um, so you got... What'd you get? Like three, One, four? Five. You got five. Oh, Five out of ten. Well done. Seed Round of applause. Hey. Uh, All right. I think it's time to uh, wrap up. Let's get out of here. Let's do this. Um, it is now time to do our out of five VHS tape ratings. Jace, you want to go first? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, as I started watching it, um, I, you know, once I realized, oh, okay. No, I haven't seen this first movie. It was interesting seeing the origins of most of these characters. Um some I was familiar with with the bits that I'd seen in other movies. Yeah. Um, you know, the comedy, like we said, has dated. Mm. It's not... A lot of the humour is not the type of humour that you, you would see sort of now. Um, and that's not just, like, with the racial stuff or the homophobic stuff. It's also, like, you know, the slapstick type of comedy. You, you, you don't see that yeah. anymore, not to this extent. I mean, apparently, <clears throat> like, the, the movies going forward are a bit more slapstick than this, but there's still a bit yeah, in right. there. Um, it has changed, but I think there is a bit of a charm to what's going on in this movie with the laughs, with the with the jokes. Yeah, I did enjoy it more than I th- as as the movie started. I was like, oh, maybe I won't enjoy this as, as yeah. much as I thought I would. But no, it, it's it's okay. It's fine. It's not anything amazing, and you know, like I am hesitant to sort of you know go out and watch number two and three and onwards. Would you watch? We didn't ask a question. Would you watch a remake or a reboot? Um, like I said, if I do, a, if they do a, re, a remake, I imagine it would be, you know, in the in the style of, you know, Twenty One Jump Street or something like that. Yeah, you right. know, like balls to the wall kind of comedy, like just crazy. Yeah. They'll all be on drugs, high antics, <laughs> crazy stuff going on. All right. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll yeah, check it okay. out. Um, but for this movie, I will give it a three out of five. Whoa. Okay. Nice one. All right. Well, I would have to say that I look. I was. I was disappointed because I've heard rave, people raving about this. Mm. People who have got you know similar mindsets to me in regards to some of those like more controversial type things. Um, but I didn't have a clue that this had that in it. So when I was watching it, every single time it appeared, 
I mean, I know, like I said, we're watching it through today's lens, but it was a surprise to me. It was like, whoa, where'd that come from? What the hell? And I, so it was distracting. Yeah. And it's so interesting. So it's really, really hard to look past it. Looking past it though, so if we just put it, go back in, it was quirky and the, the quirky elements are funny and you can see the humor is crafted. If you're looking at through that lens of the time, it's crafted well in, like for what it is, for the slapsticky, goofy, funny things. But that's not my type of humor. It never mm. really has been. So for me, this one, like, it's it's low. That's fine. No, no. It's low. It's probably scraping about a 1.5. Ooh. It's low. It's probably the lowest I've ever given. Ooh. So I, I definitely had a couple of chuckles, but... For the most part, I need one point five worth at of chuckles. Four o'clock this morning, I was like, "Oh wow, I've woken up for this. I've woken <laughs> up for this bloody one." Um, so that's it. Yeah, one and a half no, out of five. Completely fair. I apologise to anybody who holds this movie too, like nice and close to the heart. No, as we always say, it's our opinions. It is indeed. It's how we rate it. Yeah. Um, I would. Yeah. I would. I would not. Wa- I'd watch a new one because I like. You know, if it's in the same vein as what you're talking about, even if it's in the same vein as bloody Ghostbusters, for example. Mm. I'd still watch it. Um, I definitely wouldn't watch any of the others <laughs> unless everybody says that they want us to review them and they want to put us through it. I will do it 100%. So if you do want to hear us talk about it, I promise I will be a nice gentleman and I do mean, it. they only get better, right? Apparently they don't. <laughs> but let's just see how we go. So listeners, please do us, give us feedback on that and uh, we'll see how we go. Jason, that is it. Yes, that was our Rewind to 1984, Police Academy. Indeed. Uh, We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Rewind and Review. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, either positive or negative, or any Rewind requests um, can be sent to us via email at thatfilmstudpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on either That Film Studio or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages whilst you're at it. Absolutely. Uh, subscribe and uh, please do leave us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes as it does help others like yourselves find the podcast. That Film Studio has launched their new website. Bruh. Check it out. com. Amazing. Slash Rewind and Review. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, remainder of my uh, will all be about comic books. Um, I'm excited for the next couple coming. Um, 30 years on from 1989, our next episode is going to be us having a look at Batman. That's Tim Burton's Batman, Michael Keaton, yep. Danny Elfman's score. Woo-hoo. Oh my lord. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Thank you all for listening. This has been another Rewind and Review. See you on our next trip. See ya. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes Steve Goop?